Good morning. Uh, today's scripture is Matthew 13, verses 1 through 23. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still others seeds fell on good soil, where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has, whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding, but will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is a seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. All right. Good job. Thank you. Okay. Very long passage. Um, the passages are going to be getting a little longer because we're moving into sort of a, a new phase in writing in, in the book of Matthew. Um, first off, welcome. Glad you're here. My name is Tommy. I'm the pastor here. And uh, I've had a good week. It's been awesome. Uh, we had over 300 people show up to talk about hell for some reason. I expected like 30. Um, and it was great. And uh, had some, had some conversations, some feedback. It's been great. I'm going to find a way, for those of you who couldn't make it, we're going to find a way to get the audio. It was recorded. We'll get the audio to, audio to you in our community. Um, all kinds of people outside the community are asking for it, but it really has nothing to do with them. This is for us. This is our community conversation. And, uh, you know, and then, and then it's also a great way to get you to actually come because, like, why buy the cow, right? Is that how, is that how you use that phrase? I don't know. Um, so... Uh, okay, so here's our passage today. Um, Matthew 12 has been all about um, the people of God not receiving the message of God. 
That's the entire passage of Matthew 12. It even starts with um, the cousin of Jesus not receiving the message of God uh, and asking once he sees Jesus doing what Jesus is doing, saying, are you really the Messiah? Uh, or should, should I be seeking someone else? And then the Pharisees, the, the religious elite of the people, um, seeing and hearing Jesus do specific things and then rejecting those things as those aren't the things of God. Um, and people constantly struggling with Jesus and the things that he's saying because they are so used to hearing the message of God a particular way that when it is spoken, the actual message of God, they reject it in favor of their own interpretation. Uh, and so here we are, we come to this chapter, and Matthew and his church have organized this book and put these, these passages all right here together because now there's going to be an explanation of why the people have responded the way that they have responded, okay? Um, and here's the thing. It's very, very hard to change people's minds about God. Perhaps you've, you, you've realized this. Perhaps you've experienced this. You've tried to talk to somebody about the things of God that maybe you know that they're in error or, or that you think they're going down a dangerous path or that you're just trying to awaken them to the things of God. But when you do this, you're, you're talking about like God, like the center of their, of their heart and their mind and their focus, their faith, what their entire life is, 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 is surrounded, it, it, what their entire life revolves around. And so to talk about God tends to set off all kinds of like, like walls go up and you just, all of a sudden we're on a defensive because I am not going to rethink anything about God ever, ever. I, what I was raised with and what I was given is the only thing that I will listen to and anything else I will not listen to. That is exactly what was going on with these people. Now, um, there's several things you can try to do to change people's minds about God. One of them is you could just argue. You could argue scriptures. Uh, you could debate interpretations. The problem is it's not a pretty thing to watch. Nobody likes to see it. Um, it doesn't feel like it's what should be going on. You're talking about... Um, the infinite love of God, and then you're coming at each other, debating from different sides, each telling the other guy you're going to hell. Um, and it's a really interesting thing to do. Um, and, and it turns people off to the ideas of God altogether. Um, secondly, you could try just shutting up about it and just serving people and just living it out. But oftentimes what that does is it, it makes people very appreciative and thankful towards you or towards your organization or the people that you're a part of. But it's very hard to redirect those people's love towards God, actually. It's, it's very difficult. So those are two things you could do. Jesus had specific tactics. Um, at the beginning of Matthew, he is, he's preaching sermons because he knows there's a lot of people who are ready to receive what he's got, who are out there looking for something. And Jesus, the traveling, uh, preaching, healing rabbi from Nazareth, has a, a fresh take on everything, and they're ready to receive it because nothing that they've heard is, has, has taken root inside of them and done anything to help them. It's just been sort of this oppressive thing. And so Jesus is, uh, he's, been, he's been preaching these sermons and people have been receiving them. Secondly, Jesus has been raising up these disciples, this group of 12 guys, and sending them out to live as he has been living, to preach his message, to do his works, um, healings and, and, and good works, and, and, and reaching out to rejected people the same way he was. So that is a thing that he tried as well that was relatively effective and eventually led to the spread of the church. However... There is a third arsenal that Jesus had in his tool belt, which is storytelling. And this is one of the most underrated uh, things that Jesus did. People don't realize how important um, and how strategic um, Jesus' art of storytelling was. Uh, for the next, like, 
month or so. Um, we're going to be in chapter 13. It, the rest of the chapter is all stories um, about the kingdom of God. It's these parables. Now, these are not allegories. Allegories, the difference between a parable and an allegory is an allegory can be interpreted any which way. Um, allegories were a very Jewish thing. They would take a piece of scripture, and there's plenty of allegory in the scriptures. And you would take a piece, and you would come at it from all different directions, and you would turn it and look at it another way. And they wanted to see some of the language we sang this morning came straight from the, the Jewish method of interpretation. It was, it was, what's the height of this passage? What's the breadth of this passage? What's the depth? How, how deep does this go? How wide can this be applied? Um, and, and that's, sometimes they're talking about the cross, and they say, what's the, the, the height, the width, the depth? And, and they would speak in these Jewish um, ideas that would like, how many ways can the cross be looked at? Which is a very important conversation, by the way. Um, now, Parables, however, are not allegories. They are not meant to be interpreted in different ways. There's one meaning to them. One thing that that is to be learned. The first one that we are given here is given to us and then it is interpreted for us with a thing in the middle that is sort of a question of like, why are you asking these? So um, before the stories are all told, Matthew begins a story, then tells you why why he's telling the story, why Jesus told him in stories. And then he's giving the meaning of the story so you can kind of see, okay, this is how we handle these things. And then that doesn't happen again. And so you are given the rest of the stories all through chapter 13. And then again later in chapter 18, we're given more. So um, here's basically how this goes. It starts off, I'm going to start in verse 10 and explain why Jesus is telling parables to start with. And then we're going to move into today's parable. Um, this is probably going to just going to be a lighter sermon. There's not, I mean, we've already talked about heavy stuff this week. And so we're just going to go, you know, a little lighter, a little happier, and, and go get yourself some nice lunch, okay? Um, now, we're going to start in verse 10. And it says, The disciples came to him and asked him, Why do you speak to the people in parables? Valid question. Millions are asking, Why are you speaking in parables? Now, um, and so the, Jesus really gives three explanations for why he's doing this, and we're going to move through those quickly and get to the story. So the first thing that Jesus says, the first answer that he has for them is found in verse 11. He says, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but not to them. Jesus had been teaching his people the kingdom of heaven, this thing that people didn't really understand, and Jesus is revealing it to them, and they were ready, and they readily received it, and started living as part of it. However, Everyone who was not one of his people has, has genuinely been hearing it, thinking about it, and rejecting it. So he says, what he's saying is, I've been teaching about the kingdom of heaven, and they have not been receiving it. You have, but they have not. Notice when Jesus talks to his own people, his own followers, um, he doesn't speak in parables. He speaks in parables to people who have rejected what he's previously said. And so one of the things the parable does it's, it's sort of like a bunker buster bomb, right? I don't know if all of you people are into that stuff. It goes right inside, and then it opens up. And, and, and the thing you would normally reject, you don't have time to reject. It, it's taken inside, and then you just kind of like, later on it sort of opens up. You're like, oh, this is, this is what all of this means. It's a way of talking about something without actually talking about that thing. We're going to talk about that more in a minute. The second thing Jesus says is, in verse 12, whoever has will be given more. Uh, they will have an abundance, and whoever does not have what they have will be taken from you. Now, again, this passage is right in the middle of a bunch of passages about gardening. And this dir- applies directly to one of the types of soil he talks about. Um, here's what he's saying. Uh, things are growing in your life. And those things will continue to grow. And they will push out things that are, that, that are present 
that need to grow but will not. Um, there are things in your life that should not be growing. And as they grow, they are pushing out things that should be growing in your life but, but, but are not. Um, these people had the word of God. They had the scriptures and they were studying it. They had these, these words of the prophets and they were familiar with them. However, Second Temple Judaism was growing and it was very nationalistic. It was very much like God's going to come in. He's going to send his Messiah. The Messiah is going to lead a violent revolt. We're all going to take up swords and, 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 and shields and spears and we're going to overthrow the Roman Empire and establish the kingdom of God by force, okay? There is a reason a massive crowd of people came down to the water that day to meet with Jesus. There's a reason. There's a specific message they were waiting to hear. They were waiting basically for Jesus to say, now is the time. Grab your swords. I am the Messiah, the Davidic king. Let's overthrow the empire. Likely that is exactly what they came to hear. Uh, And they get there and Jesus starts telling stories about gardening. Okay? Now, Jesus has a message about the kingdom, but if Jesus were to start talking about the kingdom, they already had an idea of what it was, and it's just like we talked about a little bit on Tuesday night. Once you already have the idea of what people are talking about, you project that idea onto other ideas. Jesus is sneaking in a brand new idea about the kingdom in through these stories, and it is really important to understand that. Um, Because there was something that should have been growing, but it wasn't. This other thing was growing, which should not have been. And he says, and that will grow, and even what little bit that they had is going to be taken away from them. And so I'm going to teach differently, because they are losing it. Okay? Now... The third thing he says is in verse 13 to 15. Um, and it's the words of, the, of the, uh, the prophet Isaiah. And he says, this is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Okay, there it is. Um, just to wrap, it in the whole, wrap the whole thing up. Like, I'm talking about the kingdom of God. And they're seeing this. And they're meant to see this. Okay. Um, Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ear uh, and they have, they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes hear with their, uh, and hear with their ears, understanding with their hearts and turn. And I would heal them. Um, basically, they're, he's, he's saying they're behaving exactly as they have always behaved. Every time God sent the prophets to tell them what to do, they would hear the words of the prophets and they would project an image of what they wanted God to be like and what they wanted the message of God to be onto the words of the prophets and they would do their own thing over and over and over again. So what Jesus does is he says, I'm not doing this anymore. I am going to sneak a Trojan horse right into their hearts and they're going to be like, oh, a horse. Awesome. Thank you. And they're going to take the horse in. And then, and then it's going to open up and a bunch of my soldiers are going to hop out and just take over their whole castle, all right? Now, um, there is a way of arguing that is not helpful. Oftentimes, if there's a thing you need to talk to somebody about and you directly talk about that thing, um, that is the worst thing you could possibly do, is to mention the actual thing. Like if you want to confront somebody on their alcoholism or something, um, you could walk up to them and say, you have a drinking problem. And, and what you're doing is you're setting off this part of their brain called the amygdala. And the amygdala is the part of the brain that activates the fight or flight mechanism. And they're going to say, you have a drinking problem. And they're going to like put their walls up and they're going to say, no, I don't. Um, or they're going to say, I'm perfectly fine. I can quit any time. But you know that this is a problem because you've been watching it affect every aspect of their life. 
So instead of walking up and saying, you have a drinking problem, and setting off the amygdala and making them fight back or turn and walk away, what you're going to do is maybe you're going to talk about family. And you're going to talk about the things that are most important. And over the course of a few hours, maybe you're going to talk about things that you hope for in the future. And maybe the things that could deter that from happening. And you're going to let them come to the conclusion on their own that there is something in their heart that they need to purge um, that is threatening everything else that they love. And you're going to, it's a way of bypassing that part of the brain that helps them make the right decision. This is how parables work. This is what Jesus is doing. It's, it's Trojan horse stuff, sneaking it right in, okay? Um, and there's several times in Scripture where this is used. Um, one of the best examples of this anywhere uh, is found in King David, uh, in 1 Samuel, the, the story of King David. So King David... Uh, he's Israel's greatest king ever. However, he has some terrible flaws. He did some terrible things. Um, he, at one point, falls in love with this woman who is married to another man. Um, he has sex with this woman. She gets pregnant. And then he has her husband killed. Um, and so he's covering the whole, to, to cover the whole thing up. And he takes her and marries her. His buddy, Nathan, comes to him. His advisor and oldest friend comes to him. Um, and he says, hey, David, how are you doing? I, I've got a story. Story time. Sit down. Um, it's a bedtime story, so lay down. Let's, let's tell a story. Um, there was once this shepherd. Uh, he was a poor farmer, kind of shepherd guy. He was just very, very poor. He had nothing. He had no family. He had no one in the world. He was very lonely. However, he did have a baby lamb that he loved, and he fed this lamb and nurtured this lamb um, and raised the lamb from nothing. And he, he loved the lamb so much, the lamb literally slept in his bed every night with him. Um, it was the only person in the world that he had. Um, it was this lamb. And, and he, would, he would shear this lamb, and the lamb would provide, you know, wool for clothes for him, so it kept him warm. And he would feed the lamb. Um, and it was this beautiful... Um, relationship, and it met the need of this guy who was just so lonely, it's all he had in the world. Um, and then a rich man came to visit, and this rich man had plenty of sheep with him, you know, he's traveling with all his herd. And according to, okay, so pause right here, according to ancient um, first century Palestinian cultural laws, like uh, there was this hospitality rule where when somebody is traveling, um, it's a very dangerous thing to travel in the ancient world. It was very hot. You could die easily. And you had a right to go to any dwelling that you saw, and they would have to take you in and feed you. This was a common law. Even if they were your enemy, they had to take you in and feed you because one day you might be traveling, and you'll need someone to take you in. And so this poor man brings this rich man into his house and gives him a place to sleep, but he also has a responsibility to feed this man, and he has no food. And so the rich man takes the poor man's lamb and butchers it and eats it. When he easily could have provided one of his own sheep to the man. Okay? And he tells this story, and David is listening, and he's like, I, I, can't, I can't believe this guy did this. He's like, did this really happen? And then we have the response here from David. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. And then Nathan said to David, you are the man. <laughs> like Trojan horse, so like, boom, ah, oh, I've been attacked from the inside. And he like tears his clothes and throws himself on the ground and says, you're right. Could have had any lamb in the world and I took another man's lamb. And like, and this is what, this is how like the parable works. This is what parables do. They're really, really important. Um, so the ancient, yes. So the ancient parables were really, really important. Um, 
people still do this kind of stuff. There are modern parables that are told. Let me read you one. This is from, um, there's, a, there's a theologian, uh, an Irish theologian named Peter Rollins who has this book full of parables. I want to read you one of these. It's called the, the Parable of the Disabled Fox, okay? Um, a man was walking through a deep forest when he happened upon an injured fox that could not walk. And as he wondered how the fox was still alive, he saw a tiger approach the lame animal with fresh game in its mouth. And the tiger ate its fill and then left the rest of the meat for the fox. The next day, the man returns to the same spot to see if the miracle would be repeated. And sure enough, the same tiger eventually appeared and once more fed the fox. And the man was so impressed by what he witnessed that he gave thanks to God and said to himself, I shall learn from this fox by trusting that the Lord will provide, will provide me with all that I need. And so he found a quiet spot in the forest and waited for many days, but his needs were not met. And when he was almost at death's door, he shouted out to God in anger, saying, I have shown undying faith, yet you are absent. But then, in an instant, the silence befell the whole forest, and a voice from heaven could be heard. Oh, you who are in the path of error, open your eyes to the truth. I do not want you to, be, to imitate the dis- disabled fox, but rather to follow the example of the tiger. Okay, now you're like, ooh, yeah, okay. So, so the man is looking at the story and he thinks, oh, I'm just like the fox and everything's going to be taken care of and I'm just going to rest. And, and, and so one of the things that parables do is they hold up a mirror. And, and David, is, as he's listening to the story, his story about the sheep, um, He's putting himself, he's having compassion on the shepherd, and, he, and he's thinking, like, that is, that is the character I would be, and I would be so, it's, I'm angry at injustice, and then it is revealed at the end of the story that you are actually not this guy, you're the other guy, and this is what you're taking part in. Stories are very, very powerful because they hold up a mirror to us, um, and they help us to become very self-aware of who exactly we are. This is a great way to read the Bible, by the way. This is a, a spiritual discipline that Christians have, have done for a long time. As you read books like the Old Testament, which character best represents me? And, how, like this, and this, is a, this is a valid way to read scriptures. Um, now, so um, these parables, this is, this is what the parables do. So with all that in mind, now that you know how the parables work, how they enter in and they just sort of open up and you wake up in the middle of the night, you're like, that was about me. Okay, now here we go. We're going to read um, the parable that Jesus gives. Uh, first off, first what we're going to do is we're going to set the stage. So uh, Matthew sort of sets the stage for us to give you a mental picture for a good reason of what all this place looks like where Jesus is preaching. That same day, Jesus went out from the house and sat by the lake. Uh, such a large crowd, such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shores. And then he told them many things in parables saying, a farmer went out to sow his seeds. As he was scattering the seeds, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell along the rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, and still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Now, it's funny, whenever I read that last part, whoever has ears, I think of, I have three kids, so I think of Mickey Mouse Clubhouse, and I'm like, whoever has ears, say cheers. But, um, so Jesus, Matthew starts by setting the stage. Uh, there's, uh, let, me, let me tell you where we're pretty sure this happened. 
Um, this is actually what's called the, the Sower's Cove uh, in Capernaum, where this story is told. It's sort of, it's kind of a blurry picture. I couldn't really find like an adequate picture to show the whole area, but this is a great one. Um, there's sort of an amphitheater kind of thing that goes around um, a bit of a cove here, and Jesus would have hopped in a little boat and pushed off right here and used the boat uh, sort of as a, as a podium, as a stage with somebody in the boat, probably with a, an oar, like keeping it facing the right direction so he's not like this. Um, he's like, Peter, turn it around. Sorry, here we go. Um, and keeping the thing straight, and Jesus is standing on the front and talking. Now, scholars tell you, when you stand, when, if you wade out into the water um, and you talk, they say because of the shape of the land, it goes up a really long ways. Um, because of the shape of, of the land, you can hear somebody talking in a normal voice really far away, like a quarter mile away, um, just all around this thing. And so a large, large crowd gathers um, to the point where Jesus can't just talk to them because they can't all see him. So he gets in a boat and he backs out. Okay? Again, they're there to hear a specific message. They think maybe the time has come, right? So, um, another thing you'll notice about all of this is not just that it's, it's in an amphitheater kind of setting, but there are farmlands on every side. If you get an aerial shot of this, um, there are fields all around this thing. And as the people are listening to Jesus talk, what you're going to see is farmers working in their fields all around them, peasant farmers working the fields of the people who owned the land. Now, um, there is um, different, uh, different ways that the Greek is translated here. The Revised Standard Version and the, and the English Standard Version and the NIV, they use this, um, they, they basically start off with generic, a sower went out to sow. Um, a lot of like just scholarly translations that, that go into this kind of stuff, like um, when, when Barclay translates it, when Wright translates it, uh, when Dunn translates it, they, they actually say this is very specific. It, it, it's not a sower, it's the sower, it's present tense. It's likely somebody that was there. So what is happening is Jesus is here and he's pointing at someone behind them, maybe up on the hillside, they could just turn around and look, who's scattering seed. And as they scatter seed, Jesus says, the sower is scattering seed. And they would pause and they would all turn and they would watch the sower. I want you to watch where the seed lands. And the seed is flying and falling different directions. There's different ways that planters would plant. Some would just scatter indiscriminately. Some would do uh, more of a precise kind of thing. They would, they would put the bag on the back of a donkey and they would slice a hole in the end and they would lead the donkey through and it would have to go up over the walkways and stuff. So it would, it would hit all the same places. Um, but either way, Jesus is, is likely pointing out things that are going on right around them. And as this incredible, masterful teacher, he's, he's using exactly what they're seeing and saying, look at that seed. Look what that just landed. What do you think is going to happen to that seed? Now look at this seed. Look what happened there. Now, when we start talking about seed, if you, if you look back through ancient texts, you will see um, there were plenty of instances of Greek philosophers, of Epicureans, Aristotle, all these people that, that used the idea of a seed um, as a metaphor for the word that they were talking about. And so this was sort of a setup that they would regularly do. They would talk about the seed being planted in the ground, and he says, I have a seed I would like to plant inside of you. And, and this is the way that, that they would sort of communicate this way. Okay, I would plant this in your heart. By the way, um, in the ancient world, when they would talk about planting a seed in your heart, uh, there was a Greek word that would use. The Greek word is, is splagnon. Everyone say splagnon. Okay, now that is a word that we translate in English as heart. It actually specifically refers to the, the bowels, the lower intestines. Um, and, and so like, if you're like drawing a picture of like, like I heart you, you would like I and then like intestines you, um, because they, this is how they, they kind of, they get butterflies in your stomach. That's how they would describe the whole thing. I'm nervous. Like, this is how they interpreted it. Like, the seed of God was planted in your splagnon, 
That's what the word that is there. Um, we just translate it as heart because we're trying to get the meaning of the whole thing. That's how we use it today. So the idea is we're going to plant the word. Um, the Aristotle maybe has a word for his followers. I have a seed for you. And this is how he would talk. So Jesus, standing up to preach, sees people scattering seed. He's like, perfect. I want you to turn and look at this guy. I want you to watch the seed as it flies. I want you to watch where it lands. And then he's going to talk about the different kinds of soils uh, that it lands on. He says, the first kind of ground is the wayside, all right? It's, there's, these, there's these layers, and there's, there's stuff on the bottom that is very useful for planting in, but it's buried under like these hard surfaces on top from people walking on it. The, the rows, the, 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 the ancient sort of farms were set up in these big rows, okay? And between each row, like a, a road would lead to a field and then it would lead away from a field, but you could just walk right through the, the way paths through every single um, row of food. And this is where the, Jesus and the disciples were walking through a row of corn and they were gleaming as they went and crushing and eating, okay? When the, when the Pharisees accused them of breaking the Sabbath. So this is ground that is well-trotted, um, flat leather sandals stomping on it, tons and tons of people traveling through this place. Capernaum was a main thoroughfare. That's why there were Roman soldiers there. That's why they were taking taxes there. People traveling along, and they would people pass right through this field. And so as Jesus is pointing at the field up on the side where people might be gleaming and someone's scattering seed, he says, look at some of this seed is landing right where people are walking. It's never going to get through there. Um, and so this is ground that is, that is very firm. It's like pavement. If it's 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 more, no more likely to grow anything than if you dropped one right here on the stage or on the ground or on, on the concrete outside. Nothing's going to grow, okay? Uh, and so then he, he points out that some of the seed is, look, it's landing somewhere else. And he, he describes this, what's called stony ground. Now, it's not ground that's covered in stones. It's something different. This is land in Palestine that has just been tilled. And as you till it up, what you find is there's rocks coming to the surface everywhere. Um, there was this thin layer of, of nice peat and green grass and... and um, soil on top, but if you try to plant crops in that, first off, you can't even like run um, a pick through it um, or, or a hoe or anything like that because it's going to be really difficult because there's rocks under there. So in preparation of planting things, you have to till the whole thing up and you have to gather the rocks. When you go to places in the Middle East and you visit these gardens and you see these farms, what you're going to see around the edges are these stone walls about this high that go all the way around. They didn't go quarry those stones and bring them in to build borders around their their, their farmland. Those rocks came from in the garden. They till it up, they take those gardens, they take those stones, and they put them on the outside and sort of use it as a boundary as well. Um, and so that's what's going on here. This is stuff that is under there and you don't know what's there. It's soil that has to be prepared and tilled up. Um, the third thing uh, that Jesus mentioned is the thorny ground. And this is really deceptive because thorny ground looks really good. I mean, you can go and just till up a whole bunch of land and it's going to look fertile and brown. But the problem is there are seeds in there left over from um, the, the descendants of whatever was growing there before or birds flying by and dropping seeds or there's just there's thistles and there's thorns. There's stuff that will grow in there that you don't know that it's in there um, because all you did is you tilled it all up and it looks ready to go, but it's really not. And when you plant something there, it's going to begin to grow, but weeds always grow faster and it's going to choke it out and it's not going to take root. Um, and then Jesus says... But look at some of the seed. Look where it's falling. And it's falling right where it's intended to fall. And this is the good soil. And this is exactly what the, the, the farmer is intending. The good ground. It's deep, it's clean, and it's soft. And the seeds can easily gain entry. You don't really actually need to do any work to it because the preparation's already been done. 
Um, and you, you put the seed in the ground and the rain will fall and the sun will shine and it will grow in this climate because this is exactly what the farmer intends. He has done the work. He has set it up. What is supposed to grow is now growing. And so Jesus is on this boat and he's saying, look at the seed. Look who's falling. And he's just describing it all. Now, then there's the conversation about the, the, the disciples. Why are you talking about seeds right now? These people came to hear about revolution with Rome. And he says, chill out. I'm doing something else. Okay, now... We get to the next part, and it goes like this. Matthew 13, 18. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means, okay? So he's now actually going to tell them the meaning of the parable. Um, and he starts off in verse 19. He says, um, when anyone refers to the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their hearts. This is the seed that is sown along the path. So he describes um, the the wayside path as this thing that like the ideas, the seeds that are meant to, meant to penetrate in and grow something, they land on the top um, because everything is packed so tight. There is, um, there, are, there are many, many people who have walked the same path for so long and have just gone back and forth on the exact same ideas and have packed it so tight, have never challenged anything that they think, have never looked at anything in a new light. And in order for any idea to penetrate into and, and grow inside of them. They would need to take a pickaxe and drive it in deep and, and, and flip it over to get any kind of soil under there. Uh, and they're, they're, they're highly unlikely to do that. Most people do not want to change. And if you do not want to change, you are perfectly capable of creating an echo chamber, of having prejudice and having pride in your tradition or the way that you were raised. Um, and you can start to associate your specific idea with good and right and historically perfect. Um, and you can struggle with idolatry, um, immoral character, and tribalism. Um, and it's all buried deep, so nobody can address it. Nobody will ever get anything deep enough to talk about it. And Jesus says, when the word of God lands there with those people, it's not going to penetrate. It's just going to sit there on the top. And he says, and the birds, the evil is going to come through. As I imagine as Jesus is talking about this, as people are scattering seed, you see the crows circling, coming in, flying in, taking seeds and flying away. He's like, that's exactly what happens to many of you here, the people gathered at the water. He says, there is a reason you can't receive anything I have for you. Remember, verse tw- chapter 12 is all they're not receiving anything from God. Chapter 13 is, and here's why. And here's what we're going to do about it. They had been stuck in their ways for so long, they couldn't challenge anything that they thought. Now, um, the second thing he says is right here in verse 20. Uh, The seed falling on the rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. There's more to it. Hold on. I just forgot to put it on there. Oh, technology. Seed falling on the rocky ground uh, refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they do not have, since they have no root, um, they last only a short time. And when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. So um, things land, they get really excited about something and they receive it and they're like, yes, I'm in. And then suddenly they find out that their tribe is like, oh, we, we actually don't, we actually don't talk about God that way. And we don't think that way. And trouble comes because of the word that they have received. And they're like, oh, okay, I'll abandon that. Um, there, are, there are plenty of people who are attaching themselves to every single new craze that pops up. Um, every new thought, every new book, every new podcast episode, even if it contradicted the last one, 
You like this one now too. Um, and I've watched over the last 10, 15 years in Christianity as people have moved from this sort of surface evangelicalism and then they, they, they dove deep into like this um, sort of new reform movement and then they came out the other side. They got part of the emergent church and then they, and then they joined... Um, they, they join another movement that's starting up and then, and then they listen to a bunch of podcasts and now they're mystic Christians and there's something else coming too and they'll become that next. Um, but their lives are just filled and scattered with like remnants of all the things that they have been over the last few years. Um, nothing has taken root. Nothing really is rooted in any kind of tradition that means anything. They have no gauge by which they are measuring like, is this... Is this the right thing? Is this what I want? Nothing has taken root and driven in really, really deep um, to where they can develop some discernment and look and say, I think this is a flash in the pan. I think this is some ideas that, that are new and interesting to look at, but I don't think they're rooted in anything um, that is intelligent or deep or academic or in any kind of tradition of, of uh, spiritual discipline at all. I, um, I, I want to know where this is going. Um, there should be a process that you have by which you digest information. You should not be the kind of people who consume and then the information passes right through you and on to the next thing. And you hear something, you're like, yes, that's great, that's inspiring. And the way Jesus describes it is um, it, it grows really fast and they, beca- they get really, really passionate about this thing. But they'll never really dig deep and pull out the boulders that keep the thing from really taking root. Um, and, and, and the thing grows really fast, but then it eventually things get really hot and they're like, oh, we're not thinking this way anymore. Because oftentimes there's, they're part of a tribe, they're part of a, a group of other kinds of Christians who are thinking, and it's groupthink, they're all moving a particular direction, and everyone is just constantly changing, and they begin to say to themselves, well, change is good, we're just going to keep changing all the time. Um, what's going to happen is, and I see this a lot, if, if you don't root yourself in something, in some process by which you are evaluating the things that you study and read, and discerning whether or not the little pieces of it are good or bad, or what parts of it you should discard... If there is no process, you're going to skim along the top of everything. Nothing is going to take, take root. And you will get in such a habit of skim along, skimming along the top of everything and changing your mind on everything based on what someone else says, you will eventually discard the whole thing. This happens all the time. All the time. I have many, many friends who never took root in things and just kept changing and shifting and changing and shifting, never took root, never actually spent an extended amount of time and with some patience and fortitude and 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 let something sit and grow and live it out for a while and see if it really does produce the fruit that you want it to produce. And eventually it all just, the whole thing just kind of falls away and you're just like, I don't know anymore. This is, this is what happens. And then Jesus says, there is a third kind. Um, verse 22, the seed falling amongst the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. Uh, when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. So um, there is uh, the thorny soil. Um, what you don't realize is there are old things, remnants of what was before there um, mixed in. And the big question you have to ask is, as this thing, this word of God is attempting to grow, your understanding of Christ, as you begin to live with Christ as your Lord, moving forward, making decisions from a heart that is centered on the things of God and the kingdom, having no Lord but Jesus, um, there will come a point where you come to realize, oh, there actually are tons of Lords in here. There are many. Uh, I have, I, 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 maybe I have, I have um, commitments to, to money or an image to uphold. 
I have, I have a, maybe a lot of followers I don't want to disappoint, right? I have, um, I have maybe um, family that I'm just, I'm just trying to keep, you know, like keep them happy. Um, that can easily become lords in your life. Um, I have a tribe that this is the direction they're going, and if I don't go with them, I'll be rejected by my tribe, and I don't know where to go if I get rejected by my tribe. Um, those are lords. That's called idolatry. Jesus came to free you from all of this. Um, to welcome you to sit down at the table with everyone else who has been rejected as well and to surround yourself around the table of Christ and be fed by Christ. Um, there is a way which you, are, which you are called to be, money, image, political leaders, tribes, ideologies, all of them are idols. Um, is there a tribe around you that is demanding that you interpret the scriptures a specific way or you are out? There very well may be. That is not a tribe you want to be a part of. Um... We have to be careful to see that there is no Lord but Jesus, no kingdom but that of heaven, and no loyalties that can diminish any kind of growth in our life. Um, as other loyalties grow alongside of your loyalty to Jesus, your loyalty to Jesus is going to be choked out. Jesus is clear about this. You can't have two masters. You will love one and hate the other eventually. This is what will happen. Um, and the last one is very simple. There are people who are good ground, who are ready, who have done the work, who have pulled the weeds out, who have recognized their lords um, in their life, and they are actively saying, this is something I struggle with. I will keep myself aware and abreast of this thing. I will, um, I will dig deep and make sure that it is fertile ground to receive the word of God. I will... Um, be present and listening. I will make sure I'm not in an echo chamber and just stomping and trotting the exact same ground all the time and solidifying it, making it harder and harder for anything to get in because maybe God is calling me out of that old way of thinking into a new way which may be much more life-giving. And if I don't drive a pickaxe into my heart and and flip that up, um, it's never going to take root. It's never going to grow. This is the setup for everything Jesus has to come after them. Now, One of the things you'll notice about the Bible is from the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation, there is constant uh, conversation about soil. It's a really interesting thing to notice because um, right at the very beginning of Scripture, what is the first thing in the story that we we call the fall? Um, The first thing that is affected is Adam's relationship with the soil. Why? These are a semi-nomadic, traveling, agricultural people. Their relationship with the soil is vital for their own survival. And if they don't interact with the soil in specific ways that are beneficial to the health of the soil, they will, not just the soil will die, them and the whole thing will die as well. And so there is ritual. There are disciplines every seven years. They let the soil lie fallow and they plant somewhere else. There is rhythm. There is rotation. There is seasons where we rest. There are seasons where we work hard. There are seasons to pull up, seasons to put in. There is a ritual. There is a way of living. And the Christian life is, is no different from this. Um, Jesus here is referring to the soil, that relationship at, as your soul. Your relationship with your soul is vital if you don't nourish it in some way, if you don't have a habit, a, a ritual of spiritual disciplines, of fasting, of prayer, of meditation, of study. Um, your Christianity, your faith should be rooted in um, some sort of intellectualism that you are driving yourself farther into this to understand the mindset of these people. This is an important thing to do. There should be, this is why the church really, this is one of the main functions of the church is to equip the people, the equipping of the saints. If you have questions about how stuff works, about how to understand, this is what house churches are for. This is what Sunday mornings are for. This is what I, me, and the elders are for. We want to be accessible. If you have questions, how do I read this? We want to 
help you get into a regular rhythm and ritual of study, of understanding, of reading. Because people will come in and they will state something to you. And if you haven't pulled those borders, out, those boulders out of your garden, if you hadn't pulled the weeds out of your garden, you may just say, well, I need to be accepted by you, so I will now read the Bible in your way to make you happy and turn my back on the one who was actually Lord of my life. Happens all the time. There should be a way of living that is nourishing your soul. Um, there should be disciplines that are focused. This is why I always recommend um, Christians read uh, my favorite book of all time, Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. It is a book that I, I pretty much read once a year to remind me of the disciplines, to help me stay grounded in all of this. And there's, there's plenty of other books as well. There's um, Soul Keeping by John Ortberg is an incredible book. Um, there's all kinds of books from people that you would never expect that you read these books and you're like, oh, oh, this is what it means to take care. This is how people survive. And you ever see somebody go through an intense, difficult time, losing a child, losing spouse, losing all these things, but their faith somehow stays and actually gets stronger. And you're like, how? That's, that's the thing that would have destroyed me. How did they do that? It's not on accident. The soil has been prepared and there has been something growing and they have been nourishing it. And when the moment came to actually bear fruit and taste of that fruit, it was there for them. At any moment, the tragedy could come in that could sweep this whole thing away if you are not prepared for it. Um, There should be, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, a way of walking. It is a path. The, The ancient Jewish people used to call it, literally call it the path. They'd call it the way. Okay, and they would follow the law, and they would—they called it um, follow in the path of God, the way of God. It's all the same word in the Hebrew. Uh, in the Greek, they translate it the same. When Jesus says, "I am the way," what he's saying is, "I am that path, that thing you have been following towards the Father all of these years, all these generations, all these centuries, um, that has kept you close to God, and it has always brought you back and reminded you of the goodness of God through your oppression and through your difficult times of exile. That thing was the way. It is—it was for them. It was the law. For us, Jesus says. I am the way. I am the one that you are to follow. And so we go to the text and we we read the teachings of Jesus. We make Jesus Lord. We try to live this out as much as we can. All of this is part of it. It is the path towards towards goodness and good living. Um, I'm actually going to end with one more parable that I didn't read to the first service, by the way. This is a bonus to you. And then we're going to go into a time of communion, okay? It's called The Fisherman. And it goes like this. A rich industrialist from the north was horrified. Oh, by the way, while I'm doing this, uh, communion servers, you guys can go ahead and take the elements and spread around the room. Okay. A rich industrialist from the north was horrified to find a fisherman from the south lying lazily beside his boat, smoking a pipe. Why aren't you out fishing, said the industrialist. Because I have caught enough fish for the day, said the fisherman. Why don't you catch some more? What would I do with them? You could earn more money, was the reply. Which, uh, and with that, you could, you could have a motor fixed to your boat and go deeper into the waters and catch more fish. And then you would make enough to buy nylon nets. And these, you would bring, uh, these would bring you more fish and more money. And soon you would have enough money to own two boats and maybe even a fleet of boats. And then you would be a rich man like me. What would I do then? Then you could really enjoy, li- enjoy life. And he says, what do you think I'm doing right now? The whole point of the whole thing, which character are you? What is this whole thing about? Um, what is the center of it all? Um, I love this story. It's this, it's this, it's, this is a parable that drives deep and reminds you, like, what, what, what is all this about? What are you doing? What, is your, what are you striving for? Is that your Lord? 
okay? So we're going to spend some time in communion. We're going to end it on a, on a happy note today. Um, we've had enough heavy stuff this week. And um, we're gonna, our, our communion servers are going to come forward. I want to invite all of you to take communion with us. You take a piece of bread, you dip it in the wine, and you eat it. It's, it's simply, it's, um, it's repetition. It is, it's a discipline to remind you of Christ in the common, everyday things. It's bread, it's wine, but for now it's something else. It's meaningful, and we're going to look for Jesus in it. And we're going to take it inside of us and pray that God will touch parts of our hearts with the gospel that have not been touched yet. So take some time, um, find some peace. Um, if you need to confess something, confess to each other um, and then remind each other, you, your sins are forgiven because of the work of Christ. Um, if you need some prayer right through these doors on the left, there's a prayer room. Someone would be there that would love to pray with you. Otherwise, come on up. Um, the body of Christ is broken for you. The blood of Christ is spilled for you, for your healing, for your salvation, for your restoration. Let's pray. Father, thank you. For, uh, for everything. Thank you for this place and for the goodness that it is to all of us. It's a gift. It's a blessing. Um, it has changed so many of our lives. Um, soften our hearts. May our hearts be ready to receive what you have for us uh, this week. The ways that you will speak to us, let us be aware of them and present and receive them. Um, right now, as we take communion, may, uh, may it bring to our mind uh, ways that we have not um, allowed ourselves to align with you as king. Um, the ways that we have not taken your word inside of us, the ways that we have not seen you in everyday moments, and the ways that we have not poured ourselves out or allowed ourselves to be broken for the world around us, for their healing and salvation. In your name, amen.